Francisco, it's a funny town because people think of it in terms of like the hippies, the gold rush, you know, um, Jonestown, AIDS. Like people have these people from outside of here think of San Francisco in, in, in these like little truncated time periods. But there were big time periods between those little moments of of infamy or fame and um, I think I arrived during one of the in-between times. That was Penelope Houston, vocalist for the punk band The Avengers. I'm Jeff and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from musicians, photographers, writers, and San Franciscans from all walks of life, telling stories, sharing personal histories, and trying to put into words what makes this city so special. We're still looking for a little financial help, kind of like those pledge drives you hear on public radio stations. Go over to the store page on our website to check out the different levels of support we've set up, with each level offering different storied San Francisco merch back in return. That includes hats, shirts, and some of Michelle Kilfeather's photos. Thanks in advance for all your generosity. Welcome to episode 36, part one. Penelope's family moved around a little when she was growing up, eventually settling in Washington State long enough for her to go to high school. She came to San Francisco in 1976 as an art student at the Art Institute, but quickly found like minds in the nascent punk scene. In this podcast, Penelope describes that scene, including many of its early DIY aspects. Here's Penelope. I was born in California and um, in Los Angeles, and then at maybe two or three, we moved to the East Coast, and we lived in upstate New York, um, where I got to experience seasons, which we don't have here, and then uh, Long Island, and then we ended up moving to Palo Alto, to Stanford. Um, my mom and her and stepfather were at Stanford. My mom was going to Stanford, getting her PhD, and my dad and my stepfather was teaching mathematics there. And then after a couple of years, we moved to Seattle, and I pretty much grew up in Seattle um, from like third grade to college. Mm-hmm. And I there was this little seed in my mind of better weather. <laughs> Where'd you get that from? Yeah. Like, if I, go to, if I go to California, Northern California, I can experience life in a different way. And um, I think there's a lot of people who grew up in, the, in Seattle and that darkness became part of their art, like Linda Berry and um, Fred, not Fred, Gary Larson and um, uh, Twin Peaks. Um, David Lynch. David Lynch, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who, there's a kind of a darkness in, mm-hmm. in Seattle. Even Matt Groening, to yes, an extent. Yes, right, yeah. Although he's been in L.A. forever, but. Yeah. Um, and his work is colorful. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, maybe that, I don't know how much that influenced me, but I, I knew that I also wanted to come to San Francisco. I, so I came down to go to the Art Institute when I was 19. Okay. Um, and started there and started 
seeing punk happening. That was set 77. And can uh, I ask quickly, yeah, um, what sure. art, what art were you doing at the time? And I was doing painting and printmaking for okay. the most part and drawing. And you'd been doing that back in Seattle as like a teenager, high school yes, stuff. Yes, and I went to college up in Bellingham for a little while. Um, and I just wanted to be an artist, mm-hmm. visual artist. That was like my lifelong goal. Uh, my family was super musical. My mom got her doctorate at Stanford in, in conduct, choral conducting. And she had these musical groups going all the time that we lived there. And... Uh, we all played an instrument, but I really wanted to be an artist. So, what instrument or instruments did uh, you play? But before you, I miserably attempted <laughs> to play the violin. Okay, uh, I was in some youth orchestras or children's orchestras in Seattle, and I remember <laughs> ending up getting assigned to play percussion because they needed more percussion players, and it was the very last people in the second violins that were asked. They just, like, chopped you guys off. Exactly. They just moved us over (laughs) and said, okay, count these, you know, 87 bars, and then hit this one thing, and then count another 30 bars. (laughs) Did you like that? It's different, right? Drums and, like, rhythm is different than... Actually, I'm... uh, I feel like I would be really good at rhythm at drums that I have a very good sense of rhythm but um that yeah I mean I think that I use that in my singing yeah but I don't really if I had to sing and hit the tambourine at the same time then I apologize to anyone who <laughs> may have seen that happen uh well okay so putting all that aside back back in early in life you can't you said you came here because you were doing visual art Right. And you came right. to go to school? Yes. I, I started uh, in Bellingham. I was going to uh, Western Washington State University, which was then a college. Went to the hippie part called Fairhaven. And, but I was also taking printmaking courses and drawing courses and such. What made it hippie? I just... um, the hippie part called Fairhaven was like an alternative school where we had like clusters of, of classes. And we had a farm with pigs and... <laughs> It was hippie. It was really hippie. We had a co-op uh, dorm where people cooked the meals themselves mm-hmm. and people were vegetarian and stuff. Well, I was going to say a lot of soy milk. and Yeah, this is sir, yeah. This is early, mid-70s. So we were, you know, like little post-hippie hippies. Right. It also um, <laughs> sound, it reminds me of other schools in Washington, not just hippie, but like right. Washington State. Yeah, I looked at Evergreen. There are some others there. Um, but then when I started to, to do the art, I was like, yeah, I should go to an art school, you know, get serious. <laughs> I need so, something formal. Right. So I looked at the Art Institute, which is really a beautiful campus and um, very small and looked like a perfect place to go. And this is before it cost a million dollars to go there. Um, it doesn't literally cost a million people, but it costs a lot. Fact checkers out there. Um, yeah. So did you ca- you came for a visit before you de- before you decided to go there, or I think I just applied and yeah. got in, yeah. and then I and then uh, I I'd come down here for visits before. I mean, I remembered San Francisco from having lived in Palo Alto when we were little kids. We would visit San Francisco. What was? We would, yeah. What do you remember from that? 
I remember, well, mostly what I remember is based on a little roll of Super 8 film mm -hmm. where my grandparents are there and my grandmother's wearing white gloves. Mm -hmm. This would have been in the 60s. Not I the guess. first time I've heard that. And about... a hat. Yeah. And then we went to um, Fisherman's Wharf and maybe on a ferry or something. Like, just like this grainy little black and white, uh, not black and white, the grainy little color Super 8 film. That's how I remember San Francisco. That's mm -hmm. how it was in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then I got here as a teenager and started going to that school and started seeing um, punk rock posters up. This is the very dawn of 1977. I was going to say, you. so compared to when you were coming here, when you lived in Palo Alto and you are much younger, you were different, but also it was different. It was different. Oh, yeah. Like, dramatically. Yeah. San Francisco, it's a funny town because people think of it in terms of, like, the hippies, the gold rush, you know, um, Jonestown, AIDS. Like, people have these, people from outside of here think of San Francisco in, in, in these, like, little truncated time periods. But there were big time periods between those little mm -hmm. moments of of infamy or fame. And um, I think I arrived during one of the in-between times. <laughs> it was pretty quiet. The, the whole hippie thing was pretty much dead. Mm -hmm. Hate Street was was ugly. And, mm -hmm. I, and I've said this to other people, but I felt like the city was in black and white. Mm. Um, it didn't seem like there was anything bright and shiny going on. Uh, it was before AIDS had started, before the punk scene had kind of started and then fallen into drug-related disrepair. Mm -hmm. um, it was just, San Francisco is actually a pretty conservative city before the hippies got here. And um, after they'd burnt out, so it was it was like December seventy six when I arrived, okay. basically right before seventy seven started. Okay. There were no clubs to play. Hmm. There was uh, there was no didn't seem like there was any youth culture happening at all. And um, would you say punk in general was fairly new? I mean, people probably debate when exactly it started, but in set like it was completely new here. Right? Yeah. We just started getting inklings of it. And by we, I mean the, the people I hung out with at the Art Institute. So I think the Ramones had played in 76 in August. And Patti Smith had played a few times. Mm -hmm. But um, she's more kind of rock and roll than punk, I would say. Mm -hmm. So the Ramones played in... And there were people who just thought that was going to be a salsa band or something. <laughs> I'm not going to that, Ramones. Um, and Danny Furious, who was the Avengers drummer and one of the you know people who put the Avengers together, had gone to see them. And they played three, I think, three nights in a row or maybe more oh, at wow. the Savoy Tivoli. Mm -hmm. But they also played Palo Alto. They played Berkeley. They played... Novato mm -hmm. somewhere they, they they were on this tour where they just played every little place in the world yeah probably picking up gigs too as they went along I don't know about that but they played some like out of the way places yeah um, and sm sm some smaller yeah places. not like yeah. Savoy Tivoli is not yeah. very big yeah they were playing smaller places 
And they were also opening for other bands. I think in L.A. they opened for somebody. I don't know who. The Flaming Groovies? I don't know. Anyway, they were making their way. And not a a salsa band. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the three days they played in San Francisco, probably word got out a little bit amongst the people who'd be interested in that. But it was one of those things where... um, if you look at the audience of that, they all ter- became band members. I was going to say in the wake of their yeah. being here. And I th- I think that that happened as well with um, The Damned, when mm-hmm. The Damned played. And that was very early 77. The Damned were probably the first British band to come through, uh, uh, as far as punk goes. Mm-hmm. They played the Mab. And... Um, Blondie came out and played the Mab. And I was there and you'd see... I was going to ask, what else shows did you... Yeah. <laughs> you would see uh, all these other people who ended up being in bands mm-hmm. were, were in the audience. So it was... And it was a pretty tiny scene. Mm-hmm. Like the nuns. I met the nuns before I knew they were the nuns by sitting at a table with them. Because there used to be tables at the Mab. Uh, they pretty soon got rid of those. But yeah. Um yeah, the very early days, it was a tiny little scene. And then, so besides, and we're calling it the Mab. Um, where where else? You said this was early, and there weren't too many places. Where, where was there anywhere else? Yeah, people played in warehouses. I think our first two shows were in a warehouse that was lived in by our drummer Danny, and they were just for friends or parties. Basically. What part of town? I'm just curious. Dog Patch. Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't called Dog Patch. Right. It was just called Out There on Third Street. Like yeah. Way out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, are there are streets out here? Yeah. Part of town. Yeah. No, I'm really interested in the, um, I grew up in, in, like I said, in the late 80s and a lot of warehouse shows in, in Texas. And, and they're like always put on by your friends and largely for your friends. And then one time people just show up and you're like, how did the, all these strangers find out about <laughs> This show. Yeah. There were a couple other places that had shows. There was an, a place on 10th Street. It was another warehouse. I remember I have this list of all the shows we, the Avengers played between 77 and 79 when we broke up. And it was like, it has like how much people paid to get in and how much we made and like what our percentage was and who all the opening bands were and where we were on the bill and the one at the warehouse that just says a hundred dollars in coke (laughs) (laughs) seems like a terrible deal um there was a place out in uh um the rio theater which was out in rodeo which was a place that had shows but more run by bikers and hippies Mm -hmm. some bizarre combination of bikers and hippies Mm -hmm. And we went out there and we were terrified. They, but they brought us out, like they brought out the nuns, the Avengers, and one other band. They kind of brought out a bunch of punks from the city to drive all the way out there, which seemed like the end of the world. Even going to Berkeley seemed yeah. like the end of the world. Yeah. So um, that was like our second show. And we wow. drove all this, our second real show. We drove all this way out to Rodeo. Like, how did we get there? Like, this is before GPS. 
I don't know. I mean, I barely know it. I it's that it's like where one of those like where I eighty curves, right? Yes. Yeah. That's also where Hercules, where one of those. Billy like, Joe Armstrong is from. Right? Yes. Yeah, so exactly. He put it on the map in a way. Yeah. It's still not on the map, but this. <laughs> Having a few shows and bringing a few bands out there. And that was there called the Rio, the Rio, you said? The Rio Theater, I Rio think. Theater. Okay. There weren't that many bands even to bring out there right. at that point. Crime and the Nuns were probably their first original so-called punk bands mm-hmm. of San Francisco. Although Crime always calls themselves San Francisco's only rock and roll band. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> they didn't call themselves punk. But they certainly played the Mab enough yeah. times and yeah. were part of that scene. So it's like the arguing over where the burrito came, you know, which taqueria started. The, it's like right. <laughs> yes. And then there was New Wave. So there was a big right. argument about punk, the difference between punk and New Wave. And yeah. but the scene was really so small that it encompassed all of us, whatever you know, title we stuck on ourselves or whatever. Besides the Savoy Tivoli, um, where would touring bands play? Um, or was well, that even a big thing They would for you? come to the Mabuhay. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Blondie and uh, we had uh, The Dam there, and bands from LA would play there. Um, but also, there was Wolfgang's Vault, which became Dance Your Ass Off. Sort of corporate places. One of them, I think. And then places that were bigger would be the Fillmore and uh, and Winter, Winterland mm-hmm. is where bigger bands from out of town would play. Do you want to talk about how the how you got at least involved in the Avengers? Because it sounds like you were already playing shows in 77 with them. Uh, well, no, I was going to shows oh, okay. and I was going to the Art Institute mm-hmm. and Danny Furious had gone to the art institute and he was just hanging out there but he was no longer a student there and he was going to a lot of shows and he decided I think when he saw the Ramones he was like I'm going to start a band again because he'd had a band when he was a kid so he called up his old friend and guitar player Greg Gerg Scars Greg Ingram who he'd grown up with in Fullerton California and he said come up here we're going to start a band and I'm going to play drums and Greg was like all right you know Sounds good. I don't think Danny had, I think he'd been a singer in those bands. So the <laughs> when I see pictures of those guys in those bands, they're wearing platform shoes. Mm. Their hair is like really tall, short on top, but sticking straight up and then long on the sides. Like perfect kind of glitter bands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, they were looking for a singer. And Danny and I were already starting to go out at that point. Um, and from his hanging out at your school, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not going to just, right, just lurking. <laughs> well, he'd gone there, so he was still. I think he still had friends there, and mm. he'd go and use the painting studio or whatever. And they had um, they had a setup at their warehouse for rehearsing, so they had a PA setup. And one day they were out, and I started putting some records on and singing along to records in the through the PA, singing in the microphone. And I was like, "Ah, oh, this is great! I'm so loud!" And they came back from wherever they were. I was like, "I'm going to be your singer," and they said, "Good." Boom. <laughs> Just like that. Boom. Where was that warehouse? 
dog patch. That was the, the one in the dog one. patch. Yeah. Okay. And then we did a couple of shows there. Did, so you said some of them lived there at the time? Yes, or? Danny was living there. Um, I, Greg was living south of Market somewhere. And we ended up, it's funny, we ended up living with the Dills. Greg lived with Chip from the Dills, the guitar player. And, uh, and then in North Beach, Danny and I moved to North Beach with Jimmy, I think. I can't remember. No, maybe Jimmy was living somewhere else. This is like in our first couple of weeks. Um, and then Tony from the Dills, the bass player from the Dills, moved in with us. So it was like this punk rock household. So you're in a band now. You're like, I moved here for yes. art and I'm in a band. We're and still I was doing still art? Going, I was still going to the Art Institute. Yeah. And I, for my final, uh, in my painting class, I handed in an 87 page booklet and I made five of these booklets and I wish I knew where they were now. Yeah. I handed one in and they were Xeroxes of different things having to do with punk rock and the Avengers and like our lyrics and, um, flyers and, you know, just different kind of Xeroxy things that I created. <laughs> And I handed one of those into the teacher, and I got an F. What? Yes. So that was kind of the end of the Art Institute for me. Honestly. I know where one of the copies is in the Smithsonian now. <laughs> you got an F. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. That's so crazy. I know. Um, yeah. It, it's terrible. <laughs> I, so I kind of decided I was going to drop out mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't appreciate what I was doing. And then right after that, you know, probably within the next couple of years, they had the new genres department. And then they would have taken my Xerox booklet and said, right. you know, this is a proper final project. Mm-hmm. But in my, in my painting teacher was, was no. F. No comment. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, who, so who was, were you writing lyrics? the band or? yes i was writing lyrics right away but we also danny wrote some lyrics and then sometimes we would just work together on stuff and the band also someone would bring in a riff and other people would add you know another part to it or a bridge or a chorus whatever so we we wrote some of the songs together other ones were more written by specific people but we like lennon mccartney we just split everything four ways mm-hmm. the whole time and that's how we did it and then can you take us uh, to your first, your first show and what that was like? Nerves, oh my God. excitement, all that shit. <laughs> well, and, we, and, and where was it? With We've done a couple warehouse parties, but I don't, those were mostly, those were mostly uh, cover songs. And then we had, we got a show. The, I think the nuns were opening for some band at um, Winterland and they were having an after party to celebrate their fabulous success of opening at Winterland. Um, so we got somehow invited to play the after party at the Mab. And it was, you know, at two o'clock in the morning or something. It was like a real after party. And it was about a week away. And in that week, I went down to, Danny and I went down to LA to hang out with my friends from the Screamers from Seattle. And um, we were staying at their house, Tomato and Tommy and a few others. And Tomato said to me, or maybe it was Tommy, one of them said, oh, you can't do cover songs. you got to write your own songs. So in that one week, we wrote about seven songs, a couple of which 
I think Car Crash and I Believe in Me were keepers. And, uh, and this was in a time before the term punk rock meant what it, but doing that is very punk rock. It right? was. It was. <laughs> Putting an entire set together in a week. Yeah. That's... It was. So by the time we got around to the show, um, we had all these new songs and it was our first time in front of an audience of strangers and we were at the Mab and we got up there and we started the first song and I just thought to myself, oh my God, I don't know how this song goes. <laughs> I don't know what to sing. Right. I feel like I should, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Nothing's coming to my brain. You had a moment. Yeah. And then it, and then those bands suddenly stopped playing and they all looked at each other and they said, what are you playing? And they were like, I'm playing this. And the other one's like, I'm playing that. And this set list had been written wrong. Ah. <laughs> so the the guitar player and everyone else were playing two different songs. And that was why <laughs> I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do. Gosh. Like I had this total fear. I yeah. was frozen. So then we started playing again. And it was like, oh, yeah, okay, I know these songs. And Did you guys open this 2 a.m. show? Um. I, probably I. It wasn't like there were three bands on the bill. It was a, just a party, and yeah. we were playing it. Yeah, so so just um, a little bump in the road. That was it. Was terrifying, and there are people who were actually there that remember it. And mm-hmm. Were like the best Avengers show ever was their first show. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. The other thing was, I think I wore a kind of torn up shirt and fishnet stockings and high heeled shoes and some makeup and stuff, and I think I got some catcalls from the audience. And I was just like, oh, fuck that shit. Right. I'm not going to wear these fishnet stockings anymore. Did that look come from, where did that look come from? I have ideas, but. Oh, I don't know. Just trashy kind of, maybe I'd seen Blondie and um, just kind of like garage rock trashy look. Yeah. Uh, And then the torn up shirt was from uh, the British punks tearing up their clothes and safety pinning them back together. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy now. I don't think anyone can really understand that you can't just Google something. You know, back then you got your information through zines, magazines, television even. Mm -hmm. I had these shows about outrageous punk rockers in England. And there was one show in particular, I think it was on NBC it's like an hour-long show about punk um, hmm. and how our, this was this outrageous the thing new scourge young, young people are doing. Yeah, and everybody saw it. It was um, it was like a weekend show, and then people were all like, "Oh, well, that's an idea." You know? <laughs> Thanks in DC. Yeah. Um, so you know, there was no. You got your information through friends and through like really obscure ways or the radio you'd listen to the radio um, but it was really a different world I don't think anyone could actually even imagine it anymore that was Penelope Houston join us Thursday when Penelope will talk more about the Avengers and a now legendary show the band played at Winterland with the Sex Pistols music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on all the stuff we do. We've now got more than 80 different storytellers with all the episodes up on our website, storiedsf.com. While you're there, please help support this project by making a donation. 
If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. And if you have any comments, suggestions of who should be on the show, or you just want to share whatever's on your mind, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.